0: Welcome to The Climb! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. The new music business is all about traffic, and the traffic creates the leverage. If you want that record deal, if you want the management, if you want the pub deal, if you want the booking agent, you're going to need to prove that you can make it happen and that you've made it happen. That's why we called it The Climb, C-L-I-M-B, creating leverage in the music business. And that's a Baxterium created by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter. Brent's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady Antebellum, Joe Nichols, and more. What I love about Brent is that he helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you can write like a pro, do business like a pro. And on the regular, he connects you, To the pros, like what we're going to do right now in this episode, you can find Brent at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com.
1: And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinnell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally. They're identifying new fans through data. If you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists such as Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other. Johnny D how you doing brother man i'm super stoked we have an incredibly special guest today we don't do a ton of interviews but this one is definitely long overdue but always right on time so we're going to dive into that today we have bart herbison the executive director of nsai not only my fan i'm a lifetime member and we're going to dive into the state of the, the industry for a little bit today
0: Oh, this is going to be such a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to this. Before we do that, let's take care of a little business here. This is a, a digital world, but if you are an artist trying to make money, physical media, super important to the independent musician. We've got Elora going out on on our second tour starting today when we're recording this. Cool. And she is stocked up with shirts, CDs, and everything that, guess what? We got them from disc makers. A, you know, A digital royalty payment is so small. Selling products like CD or vinyl or T-shirts at a gig. It's not just an income generator. It's the way you get to the next town.
1: That's right. Knock, knock. Who's there? Math. Math says you need about 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money as you'd make off selling one CD at a gig. Now, our guest today... Is working hard to change that, where you don't have to have as many streams <laughs> to equal the sale of a CD, but we'll get into that. But uh, that's a lot of streams to equal the sale of a CD. Hey, we love streams. Bring them on. But you know what? You're leaving money on the table when you don't have merch on the table. So our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your disc and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. And you can find them at discmakers.com, D-I-S-C, makers.com, or give them a call at 800- Four six eight nine three five three. That's eight hundred four six eight nine three five
0: three. All right. If you haven't joined the climb community yet, please do so. It's growing every single day, and this is not your normal community where everybody's shouting into a corner. We have just a boatload of interaction with people helping people, asking marketing questions, asking songwriting questions, hooking up with co-writes, asking publishing questions, and it's all. You're getting a really good sounding board in there. We want you. To, we want to have you. So come on in. Uh, you got to. You asked to be let in, but we let everybody in subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already, wherever you consume podcasts so that you get every episode on time and in order, and then make sure you share it. It's the best thing you can do for Brent and I is if it's meant something to you, if it's helping you tell somebody about it, because if you tell them they know I can trust you, it's way better than if we tell them they don't know who we are from a can of paint,
1: right? right <laughs> and leave right. a
0: review, leave a review. All right, what are we getting into? All right. It's so,
1: It is Bart Herbison. So NSAI, also known long form as Nashville Songwriters Association International, as might be always used to call them, NSIA for years. I'm like, no, NSAI. Anyway, (laughs) so it's the world's largest not-for-profit songwriters trade organization dedicated to the songwriting profession. It was established in 1967 and has somewhere like around 5,000 members and 140 chapters around the world. So that's why international. So our guest today is the executive director of NSAI, Bart Herbison. He's a Paris, Tennessee native, and he worked as a reporter and spent 14 years in radio before joining the staff of former Tennessee Governor Ned McWhorter in 1987. He's joined the staff of U.S. Representative Bob Clement in 1988. In the next 10 years, man, he was the Tennessee congressman's press secretary, campaign manager, chief administrative officer, before leaving Capitol Hill for Music Row in 1997. And he still makes a lot of trips up to Capitol Hill. Under Mark's leadership, NSAI has gained prominence in the national legislative arena. Some of the accomplishments include passage of the landmark Songwriters Capital Gains Tax Equity Act. It's a mouthful in 2006, but it's good stuff. Prevailing in the copyright royalty board trial in 2008, 2009 that saw songwriters for the first time time be paid a percentage rate for the subscription music services. I also participated in U.S. Supreme court cases that extended the life of American copyright. So my grandkids, kids, thank you. And creation of the first ever copyright infringement group insurance plan for songwriters and music publishers in 2009. And that's just some of them. So, and also on a personal note, I just want to add that Bart has been a champion and a cheerleader for me and he and the rest of NSAI have provided a much-needed and much-appreciated home for me on Music Row for years. So y'all can't see, but I'm wearing my NSAI hat, which I wear a lot anyway, because I mean it, and I love NSAI. So thank you, Bart, and welcome to The Climb.
2: Well, cool. likewise, um, you're one of my favorite people, and you equally, Brent, are a great songwriter's friend. And by the way, one of the best advice givers and teachers, you do it in a way that I've never seen anybody else utilize, and it's important. And it's a crazy, crazy world that creators get into. And you really provide a unique kind of guidance. Thank you.
0: Thank you. His parents were teachers. He comes by it honestly.
2: Well, I can tell it. Um,
1: (laughs) Fabulous. (laughs) since my parents moved to middle Tennessee my mom has started gigging out and she has a band so uh, apparently I come from that too I didn't even know that
2: (laughs) this is the only place in the world where there are songwriter stages at your bank
0: yeah (laughs) that's right (laughs) the airport at the hot dog
1: stand yeah (laughs)
0: right love it
1: All right. So, hey, Bart, you know, we're super excited to have you on the climb today, as we joked about it. It's, it's long overdue. But you and NSAI touch so many things that touch the lives and the paychecks and careers of so many songwriters. You know, we could be here all day. But from the Music Modernization Act to the Mechanical Licensing Collective, who knows what else you got going on. You're kind of up to your elbows and alligators on behalf of songwriters mm-hmm. on the daily. So... If you don't mind, can we start with a quick kind of almost a state of the songwriting industry? A, a state, state of the union? Yeah, kind of a well, state of the union.
2: S- starting in the early 2000s, we went into a slide. We went into a slide where the numbers were astonishing. 4,000 songwriters in Nashville with publishing deals, making a living, dwindled all the way down to 400 by our estimates. 40-something record companies became six it is awfully hard to fight free and we've been trying to figure out the internet and the digital landscape i don't think there has been such a disruption in the distribution of creativity since gutenberg invented the printing press Mm -hmm. um we've turned it around we are not done yet we've had a couple of great years of this headed the other way so we've stopped the slide we are rebounding i think just in the past four or five six years publishing deals have doubled I think you're gonna see more and more opportunities. So I am pleased with where we're at, but I also want everybody to realize we're not there yet. We're headed in the right direction is the answer to your question,
1: finally. That's a huge thing. You know, and I I moved to Nashville, so I made the big professional move in 2002. So just as, you know, Ooh, just as mm-hmm. we we're pro- like, what's that over the cliff there?
0: <laughs> Everybody's like, running. Let's, let's run there too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh no. <laughs> but just having a feeling, I remember when the when I got the news that the MMA had passed, the uh, Music Modernization Act had passed. I think it was, maybe it, it was on Saturday night or Sunday morning. I think I was walking up you know, the stairs at church or something going, there's hope.
2: There's hope. and that's a big And that's idea. really the answer to their question. There is hope. And I will tell you, you know, people came into my office a couple of years ago. If they wanted to do this professionally, we put them through a real reality check. It is still hard. Mm-hmm. It's always been hard. There are still obstacles we have to overcome, but it is headed in the right direction.
0: Finally. If it was easy, everybody would be a hit songwriter. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So if anything worth doing is going to have a mountain of challenges, but. I love what you're doing. Go ahead, Brian. I got some questions. I'm dying to ask them, but I'll I'll
1: get, <laughs> get through your list first. <laughs> right. Well, I just wanted to take kind of a a big picture view of it cuz, you know, hey, we're songwriters, numbers make our head spin, but they are important to talk about as well just because this is the this is like the state of the of the industry and will there be a songwriting career for people in the future or is it only going to be writer artist kind of thing? So with the MMA, what what did some of songwriter community win with that. And I know that we still have to secure that victory.
2: So I have to spend a minute and everybody should go get a soda and some chips. (laughs) One of the biggest challenges I have in my job is to boil down really complicated matters into a soundbite. And that's not always possible. It's not always easy to do, but you have to give a moment or two of the history of the problem before we can talk about what we saw. Mm -hmm. So for songwriters, it starts in 1909. Edison had invented sound, wax cylinders that soon became records, and the American Congress had to come up with a brand new copyright law. Our version was cobbled together from England's since the 1600s. So some terrible things happen. Most people know, most songwriters know, but when you hear a song, there are two copyrights. Mm-hmm. There's the song that you write, Brent, Mm -hmm. and then there's the record that somebody makes of that song. Even if you record your own song, they're under two separate copyrights. Mm -hmm. So the songwriter's copyright, called the musical work, sometimes the underlying work, in 1909 was put under some of the most ridiculous government rules ever in history. And the record was put under none. And so what happened is on the record side, Record labels got to set their own price, do their own negotiations. And here were the rules songwriters were put under. Number one, it was decided the government would establish how much songwriters got paid. How's that going to work? Right. Instead of the free market, Mm -hmm. which the labels were under. Number Mm -hmm. two, there was a four-point test. And here, again, this is how complicated this is. Songwriters get two kinds of royalties. One is a mechanical royalty because number two was tied to mechanical player piano roles in 1909. The other's a performance royalty. The mechanical back then was for when you sold a record, the performance is when it was performed, either live, on the radio, et cetera. So what the government was instructed to do on your mechanical royalties, it essentially had four points and said, Brent over here has a great song but we can only pay him a mechanical royalty so little that the customers who buy a mechanical player piano roll won't notice a price increase. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Right. It means that on these expensive wax cylinders and records, sometimes costing well over a dollar, you got a penny mm-hmm. for your royalty. When I say you, all the songwriters and publishers involved in that song. So if four songwriters wrote it, you got a quarter of a penny, and if you shared that with your publisher, you got an eighth of a penny. Mm-hmm. You did not get a raise until 1978. <laughs> so then
1: like 1909 to 1978. Set, yeah. It's almost
2: 70. Then The third rule that was set was it's compulsory. I just find this to this day, astonishing and reprehensible. Whether you agreed with that government rate right or not, mm-hmm. you had to license your song for that. Right. right.
1: So if somebody wanted to record it, other than the first use, you can just say no, and nobody can record yeah, it. Yeah, the Once first
2: time you get to decide who you you don't
1: get to choose the it. rate. You don't get to
2: choose the rate. And after the first time, anybody can record it as long as they pay you that rate. Right. That's a compulsory license in your mechanical one. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, the record labels can charge whatever they want to charge. You're getting a penny divided among all your co-writers. Mm-hmm. And
0: For the listeners, think about the significance of what Art just said. So at one point we went from selling albums at $8.99 a piece to selling CDs at $15.99 a piece, which costs less to manufacture than an album. So the record labels double their profits. Songwriters get paid the same because of what the government stipulated the payment should be. Am I right on that?
2: Yeah. And I'm not here to trash the record labels. That's absolutely the deal we wish we would have gone. Mm-hmm. I'm just reporting the history about this. All.
0: Right. And right. I just, but I just wanted to put it into a real world kind I'm of situation. I, I'm right. not trying to I, trash I, the labels.
2: I'm just saying. I'm no, and I wasn't, i and I didn't indicate that you were, I'm saying I always think it's important, especially as we weave the story on down the road to remember that we're in business together. Yeah, And so we envied the deal they got. Now, The next big development was on your performance royalties if you're a songwriter and ASCAP was licensing American radio stations. They had previously licensed live music and essentially their formula was take a percent of the revenue from a live music venue and then they would pay the songwriters. But radio came along, ASCAP decided to license radio. And the first radio station was KDKA in Pittsburgh in 1930. But by the end of the 1930s, the broadcasters decided they would create their own performing rights society, Broadcast Music Incorporated, or BMI. Now, it seems that when these things happen, history could not pick a worse time for American songwriters. So President Roosevelt in the 30s realized we were going to get into World War II. And he had quietly been reinforcing a very obscure division of the U.S. Department of Justice called the Antitrust Division. And their job is to make sure there's competition. If there's only two steel companies in America, at wartime, the job of DOJ's Antitrust Division was to make sure they didn't jack prices up by 10,000%. So 1939, as BMI is about to start getting off the ground, somebody in the antitrust division reads somewhere that a new company named BMI is going to be formed to compete with ASCAP. And these two companies will license all of America's songs. And they call them in and go, "Nope, that's not competitive. You are going under something called consent decrees. And by the way, ironically, there's absolutely no consent involved. right. And so those two consent decrees evolve, and they essentially do for songwriter performance royalties what that law that Congress passed did in 1909 for mechanical royalties. They say judges will set the rates. It's a different but equally silly standard of evidence that those judges must look at. And over time, it was determined by court rulings that ASCAP and BMI either license all of your songs for you or none. Now, I might be able to go do a deal with the digital services, but I couldn't go license 15,000 radio stations and millions of bars and restaurants. So here we go again. We're under ridiculous rules. So that's how we got into this problem. And when streaming came along, you know, record labels are out here negotiating in the free market, getting most of the money. At 1.17 times what the songwriter's Now, we can argue what's most valuable, the song somebody wrote or the record somebody makes of it, in the very few areas where we can do marketplace deals, like film and TV and commercials, it's split 50-50, but it's certainly not 17 to 1. Mm -hmm. So, here are the three probably most important things the Music Modernization Act did to fix that for songwriters. Before I quickly explain that, I should tell you what we would love to have done The bill I would love to have passed Mm -hmm. would have said songwriters set their own rates, just like record labels have been able to do in most instances. But that was never going to pass. The music industry itself would not have agreed on that. So we got the biggest incremental progress we could get. So number one, on the 1909 side, when the judges look at what our mechanical royalties should be, it's under a new standard. It's not tied to mechanical player, piano roles. It says, what would the market pay you in a free market? Same thing with ASCAP and BMI. When the ASCAP and BMI judges set a songwriter's rate, what's the most relevant thing, what record labels get in the free market, Mm -hmm. but it was actually illegal under the consent decrees for the judges to even look at that. So now it is required. So the music modernization act did not change the rates but it changed the way the rates are set. Mm -hmm. We haven't had a proceeding yet under the Music Modernization Act, but ASCAP and BMI are involved in a couple right now, and we will get pay raises. Now, the other biggest part, I'm going to go into another complicated explanation. So Brent's got a song, and Spotify wants to use it, Mm -hmm. and they've got to pay him two royalties, his performance royalty and his mechanical royalty because there's an element of both when you have a subscription to music. So the first one, the performance royalty is pretty easy for Spotify or any streaming services. They go to the four American performing rights societies, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, and GMR, Global Music Rights. They take a blanket license, that performing rights society furnishes them a big, long, complicated spreadsheet that says, here's who we represent, and you get a percentage of their revenue as your payment. So what happens is Spotify pays ASCAP X amount of dollars based on the ASCAP songs they are using, and they pay the songwriters. And by the way, on performances, you can't be sued. The streaming company has copyright litigation protection under that what we call that blanket license. So it's pretty easy, go to four places, pay them, they pay the writers they represent. And it works pretty well. However, on the mechanical royalty side, that did not exist. A streaming service had to themselves or hire a company license 100, 110, 120 million songs. And it was almost impossible to get that information correct. So every time they streamed a song that wasn't properly licensed, They were committing copyright
1: infringement. Mm -hmm.
2: And copyright infringement is up to a hundred fifty thousand dollar fine every single stream. Wow. And the streaming services, particularly Spotify, Spotify really was, was the one at the time, were losing massive copyright infringement lawsuits, 30 million, 45 million. Spotify wanted to go public and they could not go public with the threat of constant litigation. It's very hard to to assign your business a value if you don't know what the costs are. And so they came to us and they said, what if we have a blanket license on the mechanical side like we do on the performance side? I'll never forget that day. It was the most important professional day in my adult life. A man named David Israelite who represents music publishers, Jennifer Turnbow who does this with me here at NSAI and several others were in that meeting. I knew at that moment we might get the music Modernization act passed. We turned to the streaming company representative and we said, well, you'd have to change those rules from 1909. We turned to him and said, you would have to change those consent decrees
1: Mm -hmm.
2: from 1941. It would have to be, what does the market bear? The judges would have to look at what record labels get. And oh, by the way, We don't want the record labels to get a penny less. The law has to say only songwriters get more Mm -hmm. because we knew that's how we could get the record labels to agree to this. We said we'd have to create a new agency for mechanical digital royalties. And by the way, it's named the mechanical licensing collective or MLC. We would have to create something like ASCAP, BMI or CSI or GMR for mechanical royalties, and it would be expensive. So long story short, within a few weeks, we agreed to all that. And a year later, we passed the Music Modernization Act. Right now, the biggest part of that is building this new agency. The law says we have to turn it on in less than a year, on January 1, 2021. That's really sort of another pay raise for songwriters. Because for the first time, a percent of your money doesn't go to collect your money. Hmm. It's free. Because we got the streaming services to pay for it. That's the elements of it. So to sort of do a recap, we changed the silly rules from 1909. We changed the ridiculous consent decrees from 1941. We're forming a new agency that the streaming companies are going to pay for and do this for songwriters. And I'll insert here what's important. You know, there's some songwriters, maybe their streaming mechanical royalties aren't much. Maybe they are hundred. Maybe they're $60, maybe they're $800, but they're hard to go collect yourself. It's different service by service. Mm -hmm. And is it worth taking the time and hiring a company to go get that? All you're gonna have to do is give us your song list. Give us your titles, your name, and your co-writers, and we will do it for you. And maybe that's the biggest victory of all. And oh, by the way, finally, What's this worth Google and others have tried to be the ones to get all this data and own it. But now in America, the songwriters possess it and the music publishers through this not for profit agency. Here's the word. We control that data forever. For <laughs> nice. That's
1: awesome. We're going to make
2: it publicly accessible, but somebody else can't do this. We get to do it. We get to set our own rules. And so that's uh, essentially what the Music Modernization Act does for songwriters.
0: So, first of all, God bless you for that. Yes. <laughs> I'm getting schooled right now. I did I wasn't this far down the rabbit hole, and I'm just like, this is amazing. I'm so. Well, imagine
2: when I have to explain all that to a member of Congress in four minutes.
0: So yeah, <laughs> that's a, a, bit of a more
2: uh, long version, but it's one of our challenges. But well, I want to say this because our founding fathers asked James Madison to write article one, section eight of the U S constitution. And that's where we get the copyright. That's where for a limited time, our writings and discoveries are given to the authors and inventors Mm -hmm. and our founders knew that that was the promise of this nation, that America was going to be founded on ideas and somehow we got away from that. But I have to say as critical as we can all be of the government over the past few years, That seems to be changing. Before any of this happened, by the way, under those 1909 rules, NSAI and the National Music Publishers Association decided we had to go to trial. Those 1909 rules that say the government set the mechanical royalties, allow you to negotiate or go to trial. So five years ago, we sued Apple, Amazon, Pandora, Spotify, and Google. It is a difficult, wearing, five-year process, but we did it. And the reason we hadn't done it before, it was, it was risky. There was the chance that we could have been even worse off. in the But it got to a point where we had to do it. And long story short, we won a 44.5% pay raise, the largest in global history for American songwriters, and it started this January. Uh, so we have that
1: right. The songwriters, place, like NSAI and, and other organizations, Going up against Google, Apple. Yeah. I mean, huge. It doesn't get bigger than that. Right. Well,
2: you know what? We're right and we're persistent. (laughs) And that goes a long way. And we only change copyright law about every 15 years. And the reason we did this is Spotify and the streaming services needed to change the rules too. And oh, by the way, all five of the big companies paid millions of dollars every year to go license the songs themselves. They didn't share that amount. So you can imagine this new agency and we've agreed on funding at about the $30 million a year range to start it up and to run it the first few years. But it's a whole lot easier for five companies to share that cost than for each to pay it individually. Mm -hmm. So they're saving money by getting us to do this and we won't sue them as long as they follow the rules. So we found a moment in time and Spotify is going to sell stock. They needed this certainty. Where we got huge, that was the most significant thing for songwriters in 100 years since that 1909 law. But before we did that, we won a big trial. So we win the trial. We win the opportunity for bigger rates in the future. We cut a percentage off your bill to collect it because we got them to pay for it. And we own it. Songwriters sit on the board of this MLC. I'm on the board of this MLC. So it was monumental. We've been working
1: on it for 15 years. Wow! wow. So anybody that's thinking about joining the NSAI, this is a lot of what your dues go to. You know, yeah. this is one big reason why I support NSAI. Love the workshops, love the events, all that good stuff. This is a thing that helps protect our future as a, as an industry. So, yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. Those flights to D.C. aren't free, and BART takes a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, the 2018, the, the year we passed it, I spent 110 days in Washington.
0: Oh, my City. goodness. You're kidding me. Yeah. That was a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there doing political stuff. I, it's not fun. <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> and let me say one thing. It's easy to trash government. You know, as a citizen, I don't love the polarization of the two parties. Mm-hmm. And the committee this is in, by the way, is the same committee the impeachment is in. Hmm. It is the same committee the email servers are in. It is the most political committee. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican, and people often ask, "What are what is NSAI? We do have a political party. It's the songwriter party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. But it's difficult to navigate that committee. They have jurisdiction over copyrights. I think we were the only major piece of legislation in 2018 that passed both of those committees unanimously, and the House and Senate unanimous. Wow. I thought it may have been a bigger lift to pass the committees unanimously than the full House and Senate. And I want to thank a couple people, and it was bipartisan. There were a lot of leaders in the House. There were the former committee chairman, Bob Goodlath, current chairman, Gerald Nadler. But I, I single out Doug Collins of Georgia, who's just a songwriter fan. He still cries when he hears a song that moves him. He'll tell you a story about being the state trooper's kid, and he had books and songs. Hakeem Jeffries of Brooklyn. Now, you think about this. A Democrat from Brooklyn and a conservative Republican from Georgia mm. passed this bill. And over in the Senate, you had Sheldon Whitehouse, you had Orrin Hatch, but nobody did more than Tennessee Senator Lamar Alexander. Mm. In the very last day, I hate this, one senator can stop a bill. One can put a hole on. And a senator had a hold on it. Lamar Alexander kept that senator and the interested parties in his office until we worked it out. So we did have some political leaders that remembered what the founders intended. And I I have to at least single that out, because if we criticize, we also have to praise Mm -hmm. from them.
0: I'm, I'm glad that you did that. And doesn't that speak to the power of music? Absolutely. I mean, for for anybody to reach across the aisle for anything, music, right now, music
2: united Congress. Yeah, like that (laughs) is (laughs) insane. That's
0: insane. (laughs) There's your hope right there. There's, there's There's your hope. I got a couple quick questions if I can. Sure. So, with the passage of the MMA, does this now set the table where the playing field is now free for? the market to determine and change prices. Essentially, like you mentioned before, and I, that was something that was going through my head, I wanted to point out to the climbers. When you're sync a song, the cost of the sync depends on the how big the brand is, right? Case in point, Aerosmith licensed to Dodge, licensed Just Push Play, which was a hit song that they had, but this was not like a classic hit song from Aerosmith it's a very a relatively recent hit song mm-hmm. for 1 year for 1.8 million dollars and right. each guy in the band gets a free vehicle from dodge of their choosing if dodge wanted to use something from a lesser act it would cost less right mm-hmm. so right. so the market determines what they can get for a sync but the prices are fixed on what a writer gets on a radio spin or a stream or a performance. Yeah. And so does this lay the groundwork for value to, to be able to, to come up in, in terms of performance royalties and mechanic royalties?
2: So no question has a short or simple answer. And first let me point out to our listeners. So performance royalties, when the song is performed, once performed in a live venue, television, Radio, streaming, they're all different rates, but that's what ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, and GMR do. And and by the way, performance royalties were traditionally a little less because at the end of the day, back through most of our history, it's what a DJ played. You didn't get to hear what you wanted to hear Mm -hmm. necessarily. You got to hear the genre you wanted to hear. Mechanical royalties were more because you owned it and you could play it on demand as often as you wanted to. You could play that record over and over and over. And by the way, I burned a lot of vinyl records up. So did I. Wore <laughs> <laughs> out a lot of HX or uh, cassette tapes. There's, there's two kinds of streaming. And I'm going to get in the weeds a little bit. Non-interactive. That was originally what Pandora was. It was a radio station. Mm-hmm. You could hear your favorite song once, and maybe once then every two or three hours, but you didn't control that playlist. You controlled the genre. Interactive streaming is subscriptions. That's where we get to build our own playlist and listen to what we want to as many times as we can. Interactive streaming, subscriptions, songwriters get both royalties, a performance and a mechanical. Now, what you said is sync. Synchronization is when a song is synced to video, synced up to a video. And so film, television, that's the only place we get to negotiate. We get to set our prices on that. And so to answer your question, you know, we can criticize the market, but I trust the market to find the right prices way more than the government. But
0: mm-hmm. it sets it up for, the, for the market,
2: right? Yeah, and how much will we see the Music Modernization Act, which is not sync, affect sync? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what this all looks like. We are seeing the streaming companies have different sort of offerings. I think it's cheap. I used to make $100 a month as a, as a young DJ, still in high school. I'd budget about 30 bucks of that to go over to Leech's Music and TV and buy my three albums. And then CDs got to be, when they first came out, $20 and $15. You think about this. You get the entire history of recorded music pretty much for 9 bucks a month, $9.99. Yeah. I think that's Morgan. Mm-hmm. We may see that creep up. Here's what I am sure of. You will see songwriters get paid more. And so if record labels make a lot of the money that's already out there, 50, 50 something percent, and songwriters are getting, if we, if we, that trial, by the way, we won, it's been appealed. Spotify, Pandora, Google, and Amazon appealed, but Apple did not. So I want to thank Apple Music for that. Mm -hmm. We're under an appeal. I believe we will win it, and let's assume we do, then you're going to see mechanicals a little more than double, maybe even in some instances, closer to triple of what the performance royalties are. So, how is all that possible? How can we add percentages? It's because the streaming companies are making so much more money. The global growth of streaming, you know, most of the people in America have a device, but when you go even into other developed countries across the world, people don't yet. That is just starting to happen. That will be the biggest pay raise of all, the global growth of streaming. Which is why India
0: is in the news so much right now with Warner and Spotify and all that. But here's what what you can take for everything complicated
2: I'm saying, bet on music. Hmm. Bet on the value of music. Record labels have figured out that they need to be in the live music business. We got spoiled in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and somewhat through the 90s, when everybody bought albums, Mm -hmm. bought records, bought albums. Record labels lose money on sales. They are making some money on streaming, but they figured out they have to be partners in the live music game. And guess what? That's exactly how this started. It started with Caruso, then Benny Goodman, Then, you know, Glenn Miller, then Sinatra, Elvis, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, and we're back to that. We are figuring it out. It will be different. The one thing I hate the most for songwriters, Brent sort of touched on this earlier, is there's songwriters who are not the artist. You know, you take a song like always on my mind, Wayne Carson, Johnny Christopher, Mark James, none of them were artists and back when I started this probably had 80 or 90% of the songwriters with publishing deals were not artists. Today publishing companies do the record label job of developing artists. So they sign way more artist writers and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. I'm just a little sad because the guy or the lady who's not an artist, it's more difficult for them. That's one of the big changes that will be true going forward. But at the end of the day, The one thing I've always seen and I'm always sure of, write the best songs and you'll be able to navigate your way through this crazy, crazy industry. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna get paid more and more and more. What we've done is turn it around. Next is the ASCAP and BMI consent decrees. Now we are about to look at some of the rest of the rules from 1939. That's gonna happen very, very soon. It could be really, really good for our industry and for songwriters or it could be the worst thing ever and sort of negate everything we've done in the Music Modernization Act. So the battle is ongoing. We have made huge incremental progress, but there's more to be done. And so what I'm optimistic to see is the next generation of songwriters, what they will be paid. Because what we've done now pays benefits for decades to come. We're
0: just getting started. So quick question, now that it's largely digital and moving forward in the future it'll be even more digital what's the need explain to me because i there's something i don't understand what's the need for a blanket license on streaming when i can have the data and see that this artist got that many streams and should be paid this amount of money well
2: it's getting the data It's not looking and doing something with the data. It's getting
0: it. So they're not going to share it. The the DSP is going to
2: share that. It's just that, look, I mean, you know, they've allowed me to use this. So way before digital started, three songwriters wrote one of the best songs in the history of Nashville, the rascal flats hit, God bless the broken. Road," Mm -hmm. And there were some discrepancies, especially over in Europe with their payments we started looking into that and over there in some databases it was bless the broken road or the broken road or the broken road comma god bless the you know i just did i do a thing was that by by intentional no 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 i'm saying it's hard to get it right okay i'll give you an even bigger example i do a thing every sunday in our local paper the tennessee called story behind the Song." Mm -hmm. Favorite thing I do, it's an interview about a song. I recently did an episode with Rivers Rutherford and Tom Shapiro about the Brooks and Dunn hit, Thinking About You. Can you tell me what the title is? I just kind of told you, what, what is that title?
0: Thinking About You.
2: Spell it. And so I'm being rhetorical (laughs) here. They couldn't agree on it. Is it thinking T H I N G about A B O U T Y O U. Rivers, I think, said it's thinking, apostrophe, about you. Tom said it's thinking, apostrophe, apostrophe, B-O-U-T-U. A comma matters. You know, there are four or five songwriters I know named Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> sure. And so data is the problem in getting it accurate, and there's no one standard. You know, the databases among the PROs are different, among all the record companies are different, and... While this did not standardize global data, I will tell you with the creation of the mechanical licensing collective, we're having conversations we need to be having. It's not how easy it is to use the spreadsheet of the data. It's getting the data.
0: Regardless of, let's say a a misspelling or a different spelling or an alternate spelling, if it's on a streaming service, the writers are going to be attached to that. It could be 20 different spellings, but all the writers are attached to that. Like, shouldn't that be? Well, but you,
2: you, you are presuming that some person does those payments. It's a spreadsheet. And so if the spreadsheet is trying to pay Brett Baxter, he's not going to get paid mm-hmm. because the money's not going to his uh, direct deposit account or going to the publisher who recoups these mechanicals before they pay him. That's the problem. Mm. This is the semicolon, the letter, the apostrophe, and if one of them is wrong, it goes into some sort of nebulous, unclaimed fund territory. And that's what we've got to try to
0: fix If they have different, uh, forgive me for interrupting, but we're running out of time, but if they, if they misspell something or whatever, doesn't the ISRC codes
2: help there us are that? IRC, That's on a record. That's not on. That's not necessarily the song, and every database is different, and the codes are different, and they don't match up. And that's something we have to figure ah, okay. out. One of the advantages the music industry had was the data. This is completely transparent, and here's maybe the most important thing songwriters need to hear. Very, very soon after you see this podcast, sometime by this summer, you're going to hear an announcement of a portal for the new mechanical licensing collective. You need to go to this portal, type in Brent Baxter, and look at what we've got. If you've got a publisher, they'll put the data in there. If you don't, you have to put it in yourself. And this is gonna be a kind of transparency songwriters have never seen. Type in your name, you will see the entire list of songs we have for you. You look at the commas, you look at the spellings, you look at the co-writers, you look at the splits, in hip-hop, there's 100% of a song. In hip-hop, we have seen splits of up to 900%. Well, I got four points on that song. Well, I've got 42. It is a mess. Mm-hmm. Some songwriter's going to come to me, and they're going to go, I didn't get paid. Or you gave some of my money away as unclaimed funds. I'm going to go, you have asked me for 23 years that I've had this job to get this portal for you. Did you look at it? Well, I've got a publisher. I'm going to say, Did you look at mm-hmm. it? If they didn't, I'm going to go, Wow, wow. <laughs> let me fix it for you. But we cannot fix this without you helping us fix it. And that's one of the things I'm most excited about the MLC. If you don't do it, we may not get it right. If you do it, we will get it right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And we're empowering songwriters in that way. And I'm very, very excited about it.
1: But you got to take the time. Yeah, but that time is literally money.
0: Let us know, like when that comes out. Shoot us an email, and we'll oh, yeah. make sure I'm, we shout it out on the uh, everywhere absolutely. we can.
1: Well, I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll be seeing it. the emails, so we'll we'll definitely be yep. sharing that around. That's a big deal.
0: Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time. I just got school big time. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you what I've done this professionally
2: for on Capitol Hill for ten years, and here at 23, and I learn something new every day, and I get something wrong every day. It's because we've cobbled together a law over a century, and the copyright law often has zero to do with how the industry works, Mm -hmm. but we've turned some corners, we're headed in the right direction, we've got more work to do, and I'll end with what I just said. We're going to empower songwriters to help be part of the solution, especially through the
1: MLC. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. And to everybody there at NSAI, especially, and of course, all our partners that have been fighting the good fight too. And they can find NSAI at nationalsongwriters.com, right? That's right. com, okay. So nationalsongwriters.com Go there, check out a lot of educational opportunities. I know they have workshops coming up and, and song camps and all that good kind of stuff, but then also.
2: And when you join, go to our video library and look at a series called Man Versus World. <laughs> which I actually (laughs) believe is the greatest teaching thing for aspiring professional songwriters and particularly tune in on an episode called breaking up with your code.
0: That's
1: my boy. There we go.
0: (laughs) I I want to thank you again for taking the time. This is and for me, I'm a school of like knowing like the history of the game. I just like you in our business. I'm constantly like in order for you to understand why we're doing what we're doing, you have to understand what used to happen and where it went wrong and how it's different, and the history is important there. So that brings us to the end of another Killer Climb episode. Guys, so join the Climb community. Subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating and review. We're trying to get up to over 200 this year. And finally, tell a friend about it. If, if this is making sense to you, this rang a bell, if this is valuable to you, the best thing you can do is tell somebody else about it. Tell another songwriter. Tell a bandmate. Tell another artist and bring them on board. The, the, the more our audience grows, the more power we have to get the truth out there and to preach this gospel right this podcast exists because we want you to win so keep on
1: climbing and we'll see at the top and bart we'll see on capitol hill thank you so much man i appreciate it
2: thank you guys